learned to ski, downhill ski, when I was just four years old. And I have vivid memories of my dad holding me between his legs as we zipped down the hill. He would just guide me and do all the work, and I got to have all the fun. I got to feel, initially in skiing, the joy of what the hard work of learning would bring. The joy of getting to fly down the hill, of getting to have the wind on my face, and the beauty in my eyes zipping past. Eventually, I did have to learn on my own. <laughs> I couldn't be carried by my dad forever. So I took lessons and I practiced. You know, if you've ever gone downhill skiing, which isn't something that people often do in San Antonio, Texas, but some people like to go to Colorado and do these kinds of things. But you learn how to ski and you put your, your skis together at the front so you can go slow, you take nice, big turns. And that way you can get ready for the faster adventures later. But one afternoon when I was really little, I was skiing at White Pass, which is a beautiful ski place right in the shadow of Mount Rainier in the Pacific Northwest. And I was trying those big turns when I got suddenly scooped up and carried down the hill at an alarming rate. A man who was skiing down zigged when I zagged and rather than run over me, he picked me up and carried me all the way down to the lodge. If he had not had the presence of mind to pick me up on that slope, uh, I would have been, who knows what would have happened, severely injured at the least. This was in the 80s. We didn't barely wear seatbelts, let alone wearing helmets when you're skiing, which you should wear helmets when you're skiing, um, if you do. I could have easily been killed. His quick thinking saved my life and terrified me. <laughs> there was a big difference in the experience of being intentionally carried down the hill by my dad, who I felt safe with, and getting swooped down without warning or preparation. One was a joyful, wonder-filled experience. The other, I can still feel the fear inside of me when I think about the memory. The scriptures this morning are about getting caught up in the flow of God whether we do it willingly or not, whether we are resistant or gung-ho. The scriptures um, are start with reminding us um, that we are not in charge around here, that God is. I think there's lots of times when we, life is going really well and we can start getting into this magical thinking that maybe we have some control over our mortal lives that, hey, we're doing pretty good. Things are going well. I have, you know, all of these things that, that I can accomplish on my own, and there are, but ultimately, God is at the helm. Our ideas all can be fine and good, but if they don't line up with the flow of God's Spirit, we either need to get out of the way, get knocked down, or enjoy the ride. Our Isaiah passage breaks down the particulars of what it means to be in the community of God's incredible love. We often hear these scriptures at different times of the years, the beauty of God's justice, service to others, living in a way that brings equality and, and humanity to everyone, actively working to change the world in a way that reflects God's grace. The Hebrews passage sounds 
super scary. <laughs> There's a lot of sort of scary language in that one too, but it basically reminds us of this, of our place compared to God's place, that we are not the authors and perfectors of our lives or our faith. We are not the sustainers of the universe, and yet we are embraced by the one who is. Our gospel brings these themes together in a poignant story of the work of God as it collides with the expectations, rules, and plans of the people. In the healing of the bent-over woman, Jesus violated Sabbath commandments. Not only that, but he touched a woman who was ritually unclean and who had been so for 18 years. It says she was you know, tormented by a demon in this. It's not, this is not something to trifle with. In short, he broke all kinds of rules, official rules of the church and unofficial rules of people that you don't mess with in the religious community. We typically read the story as a healing passage, and it is, but it's a healing from more than just what held that woman captive that day. It's also a passage that scoops up whoever has been plodding along and playing by the rules and thinking that that is what is going to get us to God's grace and takes us on a ride. What Jesus did was a very big deal. What Jesus did set that woman free and set us free for generations to see and know that when we are in the flow of God's Spirit is when we are seeing God's healing happening in real time, and God's love elevated over anything else. What those people had assumed was not wrong that day in that, in that faith community. They assumed that God wanted piety over people. That's what they were working with, right? They assumed that God wanted rules over revolution. They assumed that God wanted human obedience over healing. And what they thought that God wanted with their small superstitions was in fact broken completely open by Jesus' healing. She'd been sick for so long. Everyone knew it. It opened an incredible door. It's so easy in the scripture, like many others, for us to judge it, you know, so far after the fact, over 2,000 years, we like to judge the religious authority about what they did. We like to think that we would be the ones celebrating what happened that day. That we would be the ones saying, yes, that's, this is not the right time. If you want to get healed, come on another day of the week. We would not be those people. And yet, so often we get trapped, trapped in our thinking of the way things should go. Jesus wants to say, the call of the flow of the Spirit of God is adventure. It's prioritizing the healing of people in, in our community. It's, it's about recognizing that even if we like the rules and the rules aren't bad, even if we like tradition and the tradition isn't bad, we can never let those things get in the way of the healing power of Jesus. We have two choices, according to the scripture, when we see someone healed. We can be the kind of people who rejoice, 
or the kind of people who are skeptical. And that is true not only for other people's healings, but our own. I know so many good Christians who have deep, deep brokenness and hurt and who would prefer to continue on that road rather than embracing the destabilizing power of the love and healing of God. We get so accustomed to our view. That woman's view for 18 years had been bent over, looking at the navels of others, pushed out. It completely transformed everything. And so many good Christians, good Lutherans, would rather just hold the line than embrace the adventure of God's healing. But people of God, it is not God's intention for you to stay broken and hurting. It is not God's intention for you to continue to be oppressed and held back. It is not God's intention for you to try to pretend or jump through hoops. God's intention for you is to be set free. To stand up straight, praising God, dancing into the future that God has for you. Swept up with the joy of speeding down the hill that you don't even have the competency to ski yourself. But get to enjoy the beauty of it. We get to come to church to be reminded of God's omnipotence and healing and grace and love. To be comforted in our sorrows, inspired where we need to be, healed where we need to be, strengthened for our journeys. So where, church, do you need healing this morning? Can you imagine that God is interested in healing you? Can you maybe stop kicking and screaming so much? And maybe see the beauty of the speed and flow of the Spirit of God? My prayer for us this morning is that we are swept by God's incredible grace and resurrecting love and that we can enjoy every minute of it. Amen. Let's stand and sing God is here. This is one of those hymns